0: Hi, folks. How are you? I hope this finds you safe and well. But most of all, I hope that everybody is uh, in a good place and you've had the time to embrace and enjoy some wonderful films, be that at the cinema or be that at home, because there's an incredible amount of wonderful films available for you to check out. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to this episode of the podcast my weekly podcast called Soundtracking. We really don't take for granted that you listen because we know there are so many, so many options for you out there. But we really hope that ours gives you a little bit of a different conversation than you're hearing elsewhere. The backbone of that is talking about music. Obviously, uh, it's called Soundtracking. But that conversation can lead anywhere and everywhere. Uh, because I don't really go into it with an agenda. Obviously, I want to talk about music, but I am enthused by the creativity of our guests, each individually, actually. So that's why every conversation is so unique to that person. If any of you follow me or the podcast on social media, then you'll be aware of my excitement at having time with today's guest. I can clearly say that he is the reason that I started going to the cinema and continue to go to the cinema, because the first ever experience that I had at the cinema with my friends, without my parents, was Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And that whole experience, that freedom, that escapism, that world that I uh, I was transported to, was down to Mr. Steven Spielberg, and also his composer-collaborator, Mr. John Williams. And that's why our latest guest on Soundtracking really doesn't need any introduction other than you can quite clearly hear that I'm over the moon to be able to welcome Steven Spielberg. I can't believe I'm actually saying this and I might cry again because I did run downstairs after I did my 20 minutes and my husband said, how was it? And I was like, it was amazing. It was such an emotional experience for me. So I am beyond grateful and excited that he's on our little podcast to discuss his jaw-dropping adaptation of West Side Story. If you've never seen West Side Story, go and see this. Some of you might think, oh, I'm not really into musicals. It's so much more than that. And if you're a fan of the original and you're slightly apprehensive about, oh, I don't know if I want to, you know that thing where you might have seen one of your favourite bands do the gig of their life your life and you kind of don't want to spoil that it won't because this is something truly unique to spielberg and kind of relevant and really necessary to be honest as well so go and see it at the cinema because right now we need any kind of escapism and celebration and opportunity to just wallow in the most beautiful luxurious um, world that he's created and the songs are brilliant the choreography is incredible and the performances are beautiful Um now I would have loved to have got a few more minutes with him if I'm honest but anyone who follows us as I said on social media will know that potentially potentially we might have some more time with him in the future you'll need to listen to the episode in its entirety to find out what I'm talking about anyway all will be revealed by the end of the interview So let's get right to it, shall we, with a cue from Stephen's version of this classic musical called La Borinqueña*.
1: Despierta, Borinqueño, Que han dado la señal Despierta de ese sueño Que es hora de luchar A ese llamar patriótico No arde tu corazón Ven no será simpático el ruido del cañón. Nosotros queremos la libertad. Nuestros machetes nos darán. Oh, vámonos, borinqueños! vámonos ya. Que nos espera ansiosa, ansiosa la libertad.
0: It is an honour to chat to you, sir. Congratulations. How are you?
1: I'm really good. It's really, I'm happy to talk to somebody that understands music.
0: Well, loves music, adores music and, uh, you know, and adores that relationship with Music and the moving image as well, because they are, they're entwined with each other. It's just a, a magical relationship, really, that we get to explore and experience as film fans.
1: It's true. It's true. Music is, music is, is what began the movies. You know, the movies did not begin in a silent Nickelodeon with just the, the sound of an old projector cranking along. The, it, it, it began with a tack piano and an orchestra pit with somebody improvising music to go along with the images it, it, yeah. and movies, of course, is, is the next iteration of opera. And uh, movies have uh, stood in for opera for many decades.
0: As much as we love the sound of that projector, it is quite a beautiful sound, isn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah, it is. I like I like projectors, I like film projectors. Sadly, there's very few film projectors left in America, but I got them in my room at home. So that's good.
0: Good. Listen, West Side Story, I had the absolute joy of, of watching your film yesterday and it was magical. It was absolutely, it was a physical experience I had to, I thought it was, it was stunning. And it's a film that I, I think I've watched it a hundred times. It's a film I watched with my mum over and over and over again when I was growing up and feel like it's kind of, it's in me in a way, but congratulations, you have, you have brought this wonderful kind of new, powerful, fresh clarity to this story. Um, but how old were you when you first saw it? Can you remember? I was,
1: well, I saw it. The first time I saw West Side Story, I was probably 15. I yeah. saw it. I saw the Robert Wise, Jerry Robbins uh, uh, film, and which I just adored. And I saw it like five times in first run theaters. Um, but the first time I heard the music, I was five years younger. I was 10. And my mom and dad brought home the album from the original Broadway cast album. And I wore it out listening to it. I never heard a West Side Story before. I didn't really understand what the story was about but I love the songs and I love the words and I love the music and the music was profoundly powerful. I wasn't aware when I was 10 years old who Leonard Bernstein was, but then my mom and dad began showing me on CBS uh, these uh, young people's concerts that Bernstein would introduce the complexities of classical music to make to make it to make it accessible to young people, and it was it was the anti it was the antidote to Elvis Presley in those days, (laughs) (laughs) because Bernstein was determined to popularize classical music, and this series of CBS specials. Did the trick, especially for me.
0: For me, it's like your love story to this film, really, to 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 what it meant to you. What, what was it that made that decision for you, or helped you make that decision?
1: Well, my my abiding love of the musical, number one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: My my abide my desire to make a musical someday, uh, and I had been threatening to do this for forty years and never did one. I flirted with music under the main titles of Indiana Jones: The Temple of Doom in the USO um, um, uh, Jitterbug competition sequence in 1941, and even in the Zero Gravity um, sequence in Ready Player One. I flirted with with, with the musical idioms and the musical uh, genre, but not until probably 10 years ago did I really seriously um, uh, work up the courage to go to New York and meet with Steven Sondheim and ask him, Uh, For the first time, if he would ever consider, along with the other three estates, to allow me to reimagine his original stage production.
0: Did he take much persuasion or was it a a yes straight away? No,
1: Stephen wanted me to, he wanted me to explain myself. He wanted me to explain why I thought it was necessary to make another movie of it. Uh, He actually, immediately after having said that, said, you must make another movie of it. And if you don't, somebody must. First thing he said to me. Why are you making it and you must make it? And then the <laughs> second thing he 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 told me was how much he did not like a lot of the words he wrote for West Side Story. And he began to tell me that that he he, he couldn't write it off because he was only 24, 25 years old when he got the job. But he had matured and becoming had, yeah. he became much more nonlinear and experimental when he got the chance finally with form uh, funny anything happened in the way of the form. And beyond that, he, he got a chance to be nonlinear experimental and uh, and change the form, which is what he always wanted to do. And um, I admired that and we got into a great conversation. And then I met with the other estates. I got, got, I got to meet Lenny's kids, Jamie, Nina, and Alexander Bernstein. I got to wow. sit in a room with them. I had to sell myself to them. I had to sit with Arthur Lawrence estate, David Saint, and Jonathan Loma. I had to sell myself to them. Then I had to sell myself to Alan Greenberg and all the people involved in the Jerome Robbins estate because Jerome Robbins conceived West Side Story. It was his idea. So he was the boss mm. of the whole endeavor. And I then I got all the estates together, not Steve, but his attorney, Rick Pappas, in a room in New York City. And I had to repeat myself to all of them in the same room. And at the end of that meeting, they gave me the rights. So it was one of wow. the biggest days of my life.
0: And probably the most terrifying, I imagine.
1: <laughs> I was scared. I was, I was scared of making a musical because I had never done it before. And I was even scared. I was really scared of making West Side Story because it's such a revered and beloved musical motion picture. But yeah. I, felt the, I felt that the themes and the essence of that love story and the, the, the xenophobia at a time when that wasn't even a word in 1957, but what, it's what it's about. It's what yeah. the attention was. Yeah. I just found, I felt that this 21st century, there's a place for us. There's a place for this <laughs> today, especially with young people who have never even heard the title West Side Story.
0: Yeah. I think that the the subtle changes, the updates, the the perspectives that you've given you know, in terms of your adaptation of this are, are incredibly powerful, even how subtle they are. You know, even visually as well, when you see those shadows of the jets and the sharks and that wonderful thing of you can't differentiate about who or what they are. They're just humans. And I love that imagery of them kind of coming together it's just I'm so
1: glad you I'm so glad you 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 interpret it that way because that was the reason I did that shot I didn't do the shot cuz it was cool to go overhead I did the shot because for a brief few seconds you cannot tell because it's only shadow the Jets from the Sharks the Puerto Ricans from the fourth generation white immigrants you couldn't tell in those brief moments that was exactly the reason I did that shot
0: With the music how how did you navigate that in terms of not changing too much, knowing that you needed to, you know, working with um, Gustavo Dudamel, the conductor, and, and David Newman, your ranger as well. And yeah. um, I, I believe, was Mr. Williams involved as well in some way, shape or form? Or, uh,
1: M- Mr. Williams, and Ms., uh, John, Johnny uh, Williams, um, it was his idea to hire Gustavo Dudamel to conduct the score and it was his idea to hire David Newman to conduct the first orchestra f- to get our temp score. We had to do a full temp score with, 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 with a complete orchestra before we did the final score with the New York Philharmonic. And David also arranged it. He arranged some of the background music. He adapted some of Leonard Bernstein's uh, music, his or- or orchestral uh, um, his orchestral notes into score. So David Newman did a fabulous job doing that. And then Janine Cessori came on board to direct all the vocal artists. And Matt Sullivan was there to make sure it all ran smoothly. So I was surrounded by experts in the world of music and in the world of musical theater. It was a steep learning curve for me, having never made a musical before. But I had tremendous help. Justin Peck, the associate director of the New York City Ballet Company, that that basically turned the Jerry Robbins-inspired dancing into Justin Peck's own original choreography. And Tony Kushner, who came from the boards, won a Tony for Angels in America uh, and won several Tonys and won the Pulitzer for that. You know, I I felt very safe doing West Side Story because I didn't ask Broadway to come to Hollywood. I took myself to Broadway and I threw myself on the mercy of their experience and they helped me to make this movie.
0: Whenever I hear you talk, collaboration is such an important part of your process and the people that you work with. And. And you listen is what I've heard, you know, in terms of the people that you work with it's important to to surround yourself by people that are you're all going to do the do your best and encourage each other to do your best. Yes. Um, and there's a particular person in this film who Rita Moreno is is a, an executive producer on the show, and she's yes, part she of this film, I will say. Um, and how important was it for you to to have her there and to have her in the blood, in the veins of this this adaptation?
1: Well, for one thing, uh, it was a genius idea of Tony Kushner's husband, Mark Harris, to change the character of Doc and and say he's passed away, and then to further say that his widow is Puerto Rican, um, and 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 uh, she's taken over the candy store, and to further uh, speculate that could that actor be Rita Moreno? That all came from Mark Harris. When I heard the idea, I flipped out. I said it is the most natural impulse to create a bridge of legacy between the the Robert Wise movie, our film, and the entire New Yorkan living experience. Rita has the living experience that many of us lack. So to make her executive producer, she could could share her living experience being New Yorican with all the Latinx dancers, singers, and actors, and also all the other actors playing the Jets. And she built a bridge between those two groups as well. So she was causal in the success of this endeavor.
0: I had to apologize twice to the people I was next to. One was the noise I made when she appeared on screen. And the other was my dancing as the film's going on. You know, I I know this film so well. I know all Anita's moves in that purple dress in the (laughs) original film. It's kind of, ah, I love it. (laughs) And the whistle at the start as well. It was almost kind of, I felt like I was on a, Magic carpet, and I was straight there as soon as you hear that whistle, and and it's kind of like, oh, I was so excited. That wasn't a question. That was just me sort of throwing. Oh, things oh I you. love that. I love that. I, you know, believe me, I, I felt the same
1: way when I was on the set, and all those snappings, and the whistles. It was all part of the <laughs> playback, and I, I probably spent four and a half months shooting this movie with both arms broken out in goosebumps for four <laughs> and a half months.
0: Growing up, you 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 said that you listened to to soundtracks a lot. Were there specific films that that you would go back to again and again that 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 were favorites? Yeah, yeah I,
1: I I well the first soundtrack album I ever my parents ever bought for me was Leith Stevens Destination Moon, the George Powell film about about our our first excursion landing on the moon i think it made 1950 it's before he made war of the worlds it's before he produced um um when worlds collide he made destination moon It was the first score I ever got, and the second score was Spellbound, were the two first scores I ever had in my home. And then every time I saw a movie in a movie theater and I fell in love with the music, I go out to the record store, have to wait three or four weeks, and then I'd buy the soundtrack. And it, they were good movies and they, they were dogs. There were some, I bought soundtracks <laughs> from bad movies like Taurus Boba, but I loved the music by Franz Waxman. So I collected the soundtrack of a movie I hated, but music I loved. You know, I didn't love the movie until the ninth time I saw it to the Guns of Navarone, but I adored Dmitri Tiomkin's score. And I memorized the entire James Robertson Justice prologue. I memorized that entire thing and would, and would do it at home until I, my sisters told me to shut up or take it out into the backyard. <laughs> um, uh, so soundtracks were a big part of my life. Greece and the islands of the Aegean Sea have given birth to many myths and legends of war and adventure. And these once proud stones, these ruined and shattered temples, bear witness to the civilization that flourished and then died here. And to the demigods and heroes who inspired those legends on this sea and these islands. But, though the stage is the same, Ours is a legend of our own time, and its heroes are not demigods, but ordinary people. I made all my little movies, my eight meter movies, I would write them and make them by putting on How the West Was Won, by putting on, you know, you know, the Alfred Newman score of How the West Was Won, by putting on Captain from Castile, you know, yeah. um, uh, by playing North by Northwest by Benny Herman. you <laughs> Lawrence of Arabia in '62, I think, when that came out, I ran out and bought the score and put it on. And that, and by the way, that was an acquired taste. I have to make one confession: it was orchestrally so complicated, and unlike Laura's theme in Doctor Zhivago, which the whole world memorized and knew overnight, <laughs> there's nothing you can whistle from Lawrence of Arabia. It's an orchestral masterpiece of arrangement of musical arrangement and of the use of instruments I've never heard used before ever in a film before or since. But it took me a number of times listening to the soundtrack album before I love the soundtrack album.
0: Why then that you your your films have this? The music has this incredible power on its own, but within the film as well. You know, and this fantastic relationship that you have with with John Williams. How did you guys meet? Actually, I've I've never heard how how you guys met. I was I was doing a rewrite on a script
1: that that myself and my writing partner had sold at 20th Century Fox, and they asked me to do the rewrite. And in order to do the rewrite, I I needed to be inspired. So I went to the record store and I had just seen a movie, which I love the score from, called The Reavers. I, I bought the record and brought the record home. And I wrote the entire rewrite, did the entire rewrite to the score of The Reavers. the score so much I made myself the promise if I ever get lucky enough to get hired to direct a feature film whoever this John Williams dude is I'm going to go to him and beg him to make my first movie with me which is exactly what I did when I got Sugarland Express with Goldie Hahn. I went right to John told him my story of how I did this rewrite listening to the Reavers and how I fell in love with this cowboy score and John liked the script and liked me I guess and he signed on And we've done out of 35 films, I think we've done 32 out of 35 films together.
0: I guess is it it's a it's a shorthand now between the two of you in terms of 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 how you work but but at the start you know and you think about those first few scores that you worked on together jaws et close encounters what was the kind of start of that relationship and working out because those scores are still so important and so um evocative and and just powerful, really.
1: Well, you know, I'm, I'm I'm a pretty I'm a very controlling person as a director. I think most directors have to be. But I decided to abdicate all my control when I first decided to, when I, when John threw in with me and agreed to collaborate, but not collaborate, write the music for Sugarland. I, I usually temp score my movies before Johnny hears the films, and when I temp when I tempted uh, my temp scored Jaws. It was so unlike the music John wound up writing for it. And John told me honestly, he said, I love your movie, but I don't care for any of the choices that you selected uh, uh, for me to to listen to, to suggest that's the kind of music you want for this movie. You've made a very primal film. And, And I said, yeah, but I used one of your scores that you composed yourself from Robert Altman's images. He said, "No, you can't use the music from images. When there's a when there's a shark that you can't <laughs> see just under the surface of the of the dark waters, you can't do that. Let me just go at this in my own way." So I left him alone. And seven or eight weeks later, he called me up, asked me to come to his house. I came to his house in Westwood. And I sat over the piano and he sat down with a big smile on his face. He said, here's the theme of Jaws. With a couple of fingers, he just went dun-dun, dun-dun, <laughs> dun-dun, dun-dun, I'm getting flop sweat. dun 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 <laughs> dun 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 bigger flop sweat. And, and Johnny looks at me and I kind of nervously laugh. And he said, no, I'm not kidding. This is Jaws. And he said, you'll like it better when you hear the cello, and when you hear the bass and when you hear the string section and the horns, you'll like it better. But I couldn't imagine it at first on the piano. And John was not only right, but he is 50% responsible for the success of that movie because he gave the shark, that shark musical teeth more than <laughs> I was even able to do with my camera.
0: That's such a great way to put it. I love that. He gave it musical teeth. He gave it musical teeth. Um, you have this amazing kind of um, intuitiveness, I think, as, a, as a, a storyteller where you I don't know, you see what needs to be said and you say that in your films. And you've done that throughout your entire career, you know, way back at the start, you you look at the world and you look at something that needs to be said. And I, I think that that's one of the many things that I love about you as a storyteller is the way that you address that. I hope you take that as a compliment.
1: Thank you. I do. It's a, that's a very deep compliment. Thank you very much. Um, um, listen,
0: we've run out of time. I'm really sorry. Um, I've been told to wrap. Th- so this is great. So I've never been on your show before.
1: How do you, uh, when, when do you air? When do you air your uh, show?
0: Every week. You are to episode 281, sir. And we speak to, I speak to composers, directors, writers, producers, um, about their relationship with music and, and how it works within the, <laughs> The wonderful world of of film. So I hope you can come back and we can have a bit more of an in depth chat as well.
1: I would I would like to with more than twenty minutes. I would like to very much because I've never really done a, a movie score show before, and you can probably tell how much in love with movie scores I am, and how much more there's left to be said. So let's definitely do this do this again when it could be arranged. I'd love to do your show again,
0: Stephen. That's an absolute pleasure. Thank you, and my two kids as well wanted me to say thank you as well because oh. that's the other wonderful thing is introducing them to your world. So yeah, you've given us a, a great gift, sir.
1: Oh, tell your kids thank you for me, please.
0: Okay, have a good time. Take care. Stay safe. Thank, thank you. you.
1: When you're a jet, you're a jet all the way from your first cigarette to your last iron day. When you're a jet, if the spit hits the fan, you got brothers around. You're a family man. You're never alone, you're never disconnected. All it alone. Alone. When company's expected, you're well protected. Then you are set with a capital J, which you'll never forget till they caught you away. When you're a jet, you stay up.
0: Dog day dance at the gym tonight. We can't rumble at the gym and it'll be lousy with cats. Maybe we've had enough trouble with the Puerto Ricans for one day. Relax, it's a social mixer. So we'll mix. Until the time's right to
1: fix the rumble for tomorrow night. Be there at ten PM. Punctual life. Dress to kill. Walking tall. We always walk tall with Jets.
0: From the soundtrack to West Side Story, that's Jet Song. <whistles> Here we go. Just I mean, I've been doing it for weeks now Uh, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with I can't believe I'm saying it again Mr Steven Spielberg my huge thanks to Steven for taking the time to talk to us hopefully we can indeed find a date to have a more general chat about his love of score rest assured I am already on it as I am with Mr. John Williams every week. In the meantime, if you are new to the podcast, head to edithbowman.com to catch up with all of our 280-odd episodes uh, we've already done. And be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. Uh, Now, as we head towards the end of 2021, we've got a couple of lovely, lovely kind of opportunities of episodes on the way. Great guests. Uh, One is celebrating the 10th anniversary uh, of the most fantastic adaptation, John LaCarrie's uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, 10 years old. And we have the writer, uh, Peter Strawn, on the uh, next week's episode. And then we follow that with a couple of really exciting new filmmakers. If anybody has is a fan of Flowers or the new series Landscapers, then you'll know the work of Will Sharp. Uh, he has uh, written and directed The Electrical Life of Louis Wayne, that stars... Mr Benedict Cumberbatch and Claire Foy it's composed by his brother and they are both going to be our guests as well before the end of the year so a couple of really great episodes to look forward to Uh, but our first up will be Peter Strawn talking about the anniversary and working on Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy thanks once again for listening and again thank you Steven Spielberg I am forever in your debt sir